0: There are so many lessons to that report. Lessons about forgiveness. There's the layer of uh, grace and mercy. Um, there's the lesson about God's providence. Sheer coincidence that they're working together in a faith-based business. <laughs> the lesson that I want to highlight though is um, the lesson about the weight of words. Church family, your words have weight. And your talk is never, ever cheap. Words like, I'm sorry. Words like, that's all I needed to hear. I forgive you, words like not for your sake, not for my sake, but for our sake. Oh, the power of words, the weight of words. Isn't this why Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue? and those who love it will eat its fruits. Would you say that with me? Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Again, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What this verse says is that your tongue and my tongue your talk is always moving in a lifeward or deathward direction. Our talk always has a direction. Our talk always has a target. And that target is either death or life, depending on what we say. The most meaningful product of a human life isn't from the hands that make, but the mouth that speaks and your mouth makes life or death and it's one or the other think about these words think about these words I love you thank you you matter to me you matter to God I I see God's smile through your face Those are words of life. Those are words of hope. Those are words of encouragement. Now consider these words. I hate you. I despise you. You never get it right. And you never will. Those are death word words. Your talk is never cheap, your words have weight and your talk has the power of life and death depending on what you say. Proverbs eighteen twenty one in the message paraphrase really captures the heart here of, of the writer's intent. Words kill, words give life They're either poison or fruit, you choose. And here's the deal. If your words make death instead of life, it's not because you're a poor communicator. Actually, you're communicating very well and very destructively. And the reason why we're communicating destructively is that we're communicating out of our purposes and our intentions and our agenda. But what of God's? What of His purposes? What does He want? And that's what I'd like for us to consider as we begin this series, words, words. What are God's purposes behind words? And the answer to that question is found in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to page 1, Genesis 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 5 and verses 26 to 31. I can't think of a better subject for us to learn about together as we consider our theme for the next two years so the world will know because isn't it life word words that allow us to, uh, to reflect our kingdom perspective isn't it life word words that, that uh, promote and provide relentless unity and isn't it life word words by which we are able to fearlessly share the gospel for Christ. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens Heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's Word. Now Genesis chapter 1 is a poem. It's structured as a poem. And it's important to note that its main point is not biology, rather theology. And too often we look at these verses looking for answers to questions that the author did not intend. Uh, We want answers to the questions what and how. But those aren't the primary questions in Genesis 1 Rather, the primary questions are who and why? That's a theological question. And the who is the Lord God who has just rescued his people from 400 years of Egyptian slavery. The who is God who through his servant Moses inflicted plagues upon Pharaoh of Egypt. And each plague represented A God of Egypt. As if to say that the Lord God reigns over your puny idols. The Lord God is sovereign over all. And the Lord God who delivered you from Pharaoh through these plagues and through the rescuing uh, into the Red Sea now has gathered you on Sinai And now he wants to introduce himself. So you see, the God who delivered, the God who rescued, the God who redeemed, now says to them, now that I've saved you, let me tell you who I am. And Genesis chapter 1, which is the beginning of the constitution of Israel's nation, this constitution of of narrative and uh, principle of of story and law together. Genesis 1 begins by saying clearly that Israel's deliverer, Israel's redeemer, Israel's rescuer is the sovereign Lord God over all, and this God speaks. And God said. Ten times this is repeated. Note that verse 3 and God said look at verse 6 and God said look at verse 9 and God said 10 times we read the phrase in Genesis 1 and God said the God we worship the God we honor the God who delivers the God who sends plagues to Pharaoh the God who parts the waters of the Red Sea this God speaks The first spoken words of the Bible come not from the man or the woman, but from the Lord God, the sovereign creator. And the waters and the expanse, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the vegetation, the winged creatures, these are not gods as the Canaanites and Egyptians think. These are created things. These are treasures. These are possessions of the one true sovereign God who brought them into being by his own word. He spoke and they came into being. Psalm 33 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Now here's the principle. God has purposed words to create. God has purposed words to create. God speaks to construct. God talks to produce life and health and beauty and goodness and God spoke and it came into being and God evaluated it and saw that it's good. Can't you hear in the beginning God did not create words as weapons god does not weaponize words he spoke to construct to construct we got to use our hands to construct hold hammers and saw god doesn't need a hammer he just talks and it happens psalm 29 is a magnificent psalm it is the it's the meteorologist's psalm of scripture yeah any meteorologist lovers here i know of a couple psalm 29 tells of this thunderstorm that traveled uh, through northern Israel into Canaanite country. And the point of the psalm is that when God speaks, things happen. And when things happen because God spoke, we're in awe. That's the point of the psalm. We've got to use our hands. God just uses his voice. And so the psalmist sings the voice of the lord is over the waters the voice of the lord is powerful the voice of the lord is full of majesty the voice of the lord breaks the cedars the voice of the lord flashes forth flames of fire the voice of the lord shakes the wilderness the voice of the lord makes the oaks to shake and in his temple i'll cry glory now, the Holy Spirit in your life may whisper promptings to you. And you, you, you do well to respond to those promptings, those whispers of the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you, <laughs> when the voice of the Lord speaks, your only response is, glory! And why is that? Because for God, you know, speaking and acting are one and the same. To say that God's word goes out is to say that God goes out. You know, we humans may say, let there be light in this room. But we got to go over there and flick the switch then, don't we? Not God. When God says, let there be light, there's light. And when God says, lights out, he doesn't need to flip a switch. God's words never fail because for God, speaking and acting are the same. And when God speaks, he creates. Thus, God has purposed words to create. Mm -hmm. Amen, Jesus. Man, that was for emphasis. Pay attention from the lips of babes. huh? So what about us? What about our words? What about our social media posts? What about our tweets? Does our speech reflect Ephesians 4.29? Let no corrupting talk, corrupting talk. Literally, that's rot talk. That's that's the kind of of rot that happens when you leave your, your food in the refrigerator for too long and it becomes a biology experiment. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This doesn't mean we won't disagree. This doesn't mean we won't need to have crucial conversations. And this doesn't mean we won't need to reprimand. But it means in the end, the purpose, the target, the objective of words must be about the building up of others. And do our words do that? Do our words give grace to those who hear? Is your mouth, here it is, is your mouth a means of grace? Hmm. Well, what happened immediately after the Lord God created the man and the woman? Scripture says in verse 28, he blessed them and then he spoke to them. God used language that they could comprehend because he wanted community with them. This is no tribal regional deity. This is the almighty, all-knowing, ever-present creator that's over all and in all and through all. And he's made himself knowable, understandable, approachable through human language. So our God is not detached or distant. He's neither silent nor standoffish. He's not hiding behind any trees. He's close. He expresses himself through words so that we can understand and know him. God wants to be known. The Apostle Paul said as such in Acts chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. God is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. And the principle is that not only has God created words and and gave us words to build up, but God has created words for community. And this is why God endowed the man and the woman in Eden to speak. In in, in Genesis 2, 23, uh, the man's first spoken words to the woman was a poetic love song. This is that last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam and Eve's ability to speak words made them unique over all of creation. They could take their thoughts and desires and emotions and clothe them with words and share them with one another. They were like God, they could talk and by giving them this ability god was purposing community and intimacy for their lives and there's there's nothing more that we depend upon for community than speaking and Talking in in conversation at the coffee shop, we talk. And in anxious worry at the airport, we talk. And in defending why we relate for work, we talk. And in parenting our children, in brokering an argument, in lengthy congressional debate, we talk. In a quiet good night, in a locker room before the big game, we talk in romance, in rebuke, in anger. We talk. We talk face to face. We talk on the phone. We talk FaceTime on the phone. Talk through the rear view mirror to our children in the back seat. Words can make us one. Words direct the existence of our relationships. Words clothe our thoughts. We we really come to know one another through our talk. And, And when we've had enough talk, we want to be alone. Right, introverts? And when we feel alone, we want to talk right extroverts (laughs) this ability to talk sets us apart from creation and it sets the course of our lives and our relationships and not just the ability to talk but the ability to listen listen two ears one mouth get the formula Do you want to learn at school? Listen and talk. Do you want to have a relationship? Listen and talk. Do you want to get a job? Listen and talk. Do you want to keep your job? Listen. (laughs) And talk. Do you want to worship? Listen and talk. Want to parent your children? Listen and talk. Want to contribute to the body of Christ? Listen and talk. But our problem, especially if you're American, is that we are allergic to listening and we are addicted to talking and to talk without listening destroys community and to talk without listening turns intelligent people into fools proverbs 18:2 a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion Proverbs 18:6 A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. On that note, <laughs> I offer seven questions that I discovered this week that Really should be asked before posting about politics on social media. <laughs> Question number one Do I have the correct facts? Okay? Do I have the correct facts? The correct facts, not the alternate facts. The correct facts. And that requires me to go to the primary sources, not the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. Those are reported. So if you want to know what your government has to think, go to the government site. And you can read the rulings from the Supreme Court. You can read the decisions from the uh, executive branch or the legislative branch. Second question: Does this need to be said? So, in other words, you know, do, am, am I attempting to shed light or vent heat? Question three: Why do I need to be the person to say this? Question four: You know, am I? Is what I'm about to say, does it represent Christ and his cause, or do I just think my cause matters more? Next question, how could I be misunderstood? Perhaps I should could, you know, reread this and let someone else take a look at it before I push the send or post button. Next question is, what are my motives? What's really, what are my motives? do I really want to advance Christ's cause? Do I I really really see myself as a citizen of heaven? Is that what's driving this, or is it just me? And then, question seven, can I wait until tomorrow to say this? (laughs) Can I wait until tomorrow to say this? You know, in my marriage, I get myself in trouble because I don't wait. I just, well, I've got to say this or I'll forget it. I should have forgotten it. (laughs) I just should have forgotten it. It would have been better for me to have forgotten it. You say, well, if I have to go through this process, I'm not going to be posting anything. (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> <laughs> but you see the words have weight and talk is never cheap and words have the power of life or death they're poison or they're fruit you choose and so God has purposed words to create and build up And he's purposed words that community might happen. But that only brings us to really the the, the pinnacle of his purpose for words. And it's this, that, that we might steward words in a way that reflects his reign and image and presence. Verse 27 so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has purposed us as his image bearers to speak his words on his behalf. The God who gave them their identity. They know who they are because they know who he is and they know why they are. You are icons you are my image bearers you represent me listen in the ancient world the kings would have statues or images built and strategically placed as a sign of their sovereign claim over the earth So God has placed the man and the woman in the garden and he commissioned them to multiply so that the world would know of his sovereign claim over all. Everything about the man and the woman was meant to reflect and image the very presence of God, including their speech. And here's the big idea then. God's will is that your words represent him. Our words must bear the image of God. Your words and my words and our words will automatically improve when we stop speaking for ourselves and start speaking for God. And the reason why is words belong to the Lord, He is the great speaker. And the wonder and the power and the glory of words is rooted in His sovereign decision to create and to create community in the world. And in Genesis one and two, there was such simplicity and beauty to the world of human words. There were no communication struggles. There was no war of words. There were no arguments and lies, no words of hate, no impatient, irritated retorts. There's no yelling, cursing, or condemnation, not in Genesis one and two. There were no words spoken in pride, nothing deceptive, manipulative, or selfish. There were only true words, pure words, holy words, encouraging words, loving words, and there was no need for a sermon series on words. Because the man and the woman knew who God was and is, and. As a result, they knew who they were and why they were, and they spoke accordingly. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if all of our words were spoken in submission to the sovereign God? If all of our words were spoken not for ourselves, but for God? how much less complicated our lives would be? How much more open and transparent would our relationships be? The trouble with our talk is that we want to please ourselves instead of God. And we speak as we please, if we please, and when we please. And we speak as if we were God, but we're not God. We're his image bearers. And many of our word problems would go away if we just paused and asked how would God evaluate and respond to the present situation? And it's not that we don't know this, because we do. Like when we go to the airport, and we get in line, and we go through TSA, I can guarantee you, your talk is not cheap. And your words have weight. The TSA takes your words very seriously. We know that. Is it any less with God? Words belong to Him. And our words are on loan from Him. And words are meant to make life. And God, the great Redeemer, wants us to speak redemptively. And speaking redemptively is about the right word to the right person at the right time. And speaking redemptively is the refusal to speak out of personal passion and instead to be driven to speak solely for God and His purposes. And speaking redemptively is about choosing wise words, and that means not only choosing what words to say, but what words not to say. And sometimes it's better knowing when not to talk than knowing what to say. Like Jesus, the Word made flesh, about whom the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus, our rescuer and deliverer, the Word made flesh, made life with these words. Words like, Father, forgive them. Father, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And why? <laughs> For our sake. That's why. Three questions. And then a prayer. Question number one If God has purposed words to build up and encourage, who do I need to encourage today? Who is that person? Who do I need to encourage today? If God has purposed words that we might experience community, who do I need community with today? Question three How can I speak to represent God today? You bow your heads. Oh Lord, my temper. I let it get the better of me again, forgive me. When will I ever learn to wait until I've heard the whole story to respond under pressure as Christ would to meet evil with good? I'm I'm growing, Lord, but my growth is far too slow. Till my life break up clods of pride, root out weeds of selfishness, Plow under every vestige of stubbornness. Cultivate me and sow liberally more of the Spirit's fruit-bearing seed. Send showers, thunderstorms, if need be. Shine brightly on my soul. And then, O Lord. I will sprout forth patience and kindness and love and self-control in abundance and my tongue will learn to help and heal and praise the name of the one through whom I pray. And the church said, amen.